So uh, I don't know if you're anything like me. Hopefully not. (laughs) And you'll know why I say that after I admit this out loud. Um, But I know a few of you are. If you're anything like me, if there's somebody who's talking and there's just one tiny little grammatical error in what they're saying, or or they mispronounce something, uh, even though everything else might be okay with what they're saying, and I'm tracking and I'm smiling and I'm like, "Uh uh uh-huh, uh-huh. On the inside, I'm like... (laughs) It's almost like I can't hear uh, anything else, and it makes me a little crazy. Just this week, there was this one thing someone kept saying in a meeting that I was at, and and it was everything I do, everything I could do to not stand up in the middle of this meeting and say, you're mispronouncing it. (laughs) The words only got three syllables. (laughs) I know, I'm a jerk. Dear Jesus, please soften my cold, dead, judgmental heart. That's a little bit of a window into my personal devotional life, by the way. <laughs> you have anything like that that just gnaws at you even though, even though you know it's just a small thing and it really doesn't matter in the whole scheme of things? Just a tiny little frustration, right? Just a t- you got anything like that? There's a uh, story about one of the famous classical composers, uh, Bach, Mozart, Handel, one of those guys, uh, where he had a rebellious son who liked to make him crazy with frustration with this tiny, small little thing on the piano, just one simple note on the piano. So what this rebellious son would do, every time he would come in late, when mom and dad were upstairs already asleep, every time he would come in late after they'd gone to bed, he would walk to the piano downstairs. He would walk to his dad's piano and he would very slowly and very loudly play a scale just like this. And he wouldn't finish it. And the son would go to bed satisfied that he knew his dad was awake, (laughs) having a mental breakdown. And according to the story, the famous composer would writhe in bed for a few moments until he couldn't take it anymore, go downstairs, hit the final note to complete the scale so that he could put his mind at ease and sleep. And no, I'm not going to finish the scale. Uh, life is frustrating because things don't work right. Life is frustrating because things consistently don't work right. There's this idea in Genesis of the curse, uh, the curse of living in a sinful world where things are broken. Genesis 3. It means that we experience a consistent gnawing frustration of things not always working correctly. And if you haven't been there yet, give it some years, you'll get there. Over time, this gnawing frustration can become to us demotivating and discouraging. This frustration can keep us 
from trying again, from trusting again, from staying present, from staying engaged. It can keep us from going back to the drawing board when things get tough. In fact, I would go so far as to say that even as much as the sort of obvious big traumas and hurts in our lives, if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, and we're not consistent in our relationship with Jesus, this undercurrent of consisting gnawing frustration of things not working right will keep us from being engaged in the mission of God to preach the gospel. If we're not careful, if we're not intentional, if we're not focused, we will let life's gnawing frustrations keep us from telling the story of the work of God in our lives. We will functionally take ourselves out of the game, often without even being aware. Now, this is a temptation for all of us because life is messed up and broken and gnawing frustration that becomes consistently something that tempts us to disengage is something we all experience. And this was certainly a temptation for the Apostle Paul in his own missionary travels. You see, Paul had a plan (laughs) and he was trying to execute the plan faithfully. He was trying to do things the right way as he understood them based on how Jesus did them. But even his good plans were being thwarted along the way. There was frustration along the way. And this wasn't just a frustration, this gnawing, consistent frustration of things not working right. His plans were being pointedly thwarted by God himself twice in our passage. Paul had plans. God had other plans. So Paul and his traveling companions here in Acts 16, they had a couple sort of life is what happens while you're making other plans moments. That's what my dad would always say when he experienced something frustrating. He'd say, Scott, listen, life is sometimes what happens while you're making other plans. (laughs) Paul and his friends had those kinds of moments. But what we're going to see here is that if we'll stay present and focused and engaged, if we'll stay on task for the glory of God instead of ourselves, he will use our faithfulness to accomplish his purposes in a way that brings us satisfaction, peace, contentment, and joy. You may think you need something else. I'm here to tell you what you need is to be engaged in the glory of God and his purposes and not yours. That is the witness of Scripture. It is the witness of those who have gone before us who told us about Jesus. So turn with me to Acts 16, where what we'll learn today is that if we'll stay focused and stay engaged and keep ourselves in the game for the spreading of the gospel, God will use our simple obedience to make the unreachable reachable. If we're humble and if we're aware, he will use our simple obedience for the cause of the kingdom. So look at Acts 16. Turn with me if you're not there yet. This is the part of Acts here where the gospel is going to the ends of the earth. We've looked in the last three weeks of this series at Acts 1-8, which is an outline for the whole book. It talks about three parts of the gospel going forth from Jerusalem to churches born in Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, the surrounding region. And then here, third part of the book to the surround to the uh, the ends of the earth and we're in that part here in Acts 16 so jump in at verse 6 where it says this and they meaning a missionary team of four men uh, Paul Silas Timothy Luke they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia that's basically modern day Turkey uh, just think gargantuan country between Middle East and Europe okay 
They went through modern Turkey, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now press pause here. Let's spend a few moments here. Asia here in verse 6 is not the same as modern Asia. This was a term for a region uh, as a part of that modern day Turkey. Again, just think huge country between the Middle East and Europe. So think of verse 6 like this. Paul's missionary team, four of them, Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. Luke wrote Acts. He's an eyewitness to all this. Paul's missionary team went all the way through this gargantuan country, many hundreds of miles in this country, without preaching the gospel because the Holy Spirit told them not to. Which, if I'm Paul, and I know what's been going on, and I've followed a certain pattern that came from Jesus that I've been following, going from city to city, preaching the gospel, is eminently frustrating. (laughs) This is potentially very frustrating for Paul, especially given the larger context of what's been going on in Acts. And what it seemed that God was doing, you see, They were just coming off a very important moment in the church's history in Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 is a really important moment in the church's history because it launched a movement of preaching a very simple gospel message. In Acts 15, the leaders in Jerusalem, the big kahunas who were with Jesus, who were protecting the faith, um, who were in charge, the authority, all the bigwigs who had been with Jesus and were protecting the teaching of the faith in Jerusalem, they decided in basic terms in Acts 15 that in order for the gospel to go into all the world, into all the non-Jewish nations, the gospel had to be preached without requiring people to become Jews first. This was a big deal in the early church. It changed everything. It changed their strategy. It was a way of saying, Go and preach the basic gospel of repentance from sin through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. And then let the Holy Spirit do the rest without requiring people to hold to your man-made traditions. This was a big, big deal in the history of the church. So this had just happened in Acts 15. And that, that moment in Acts 15 launched this new wave of missionaries with a simple, basic gospel message. And Paul thought, all right, let's do this. We're ready. I got my team of four. Let's go. In fact, turn back just a couple verses in Acts 16 to verses 4 to 5 to make the point. This is immediately preceding our passage today for some context. It says, as they, same crew of they, the four people, uh, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and uh, Luke, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them, to those cities, for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. They began to bring this simpler gospel message. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. So Paul and his crew assumed they would keep doing what they'd been doing, follow suit. They were on fire with this new sort of essentials of the gospel message that came out of Acts 15. They're excited to take this message to go from town to town to the ends of the earth In fact, that had already been Paul's strategy before this, copying the strategy of Jesus going from city to city. And and he thought, God wants me to preach the gospel in this huge country to where I'm headed, going town by town. But apparently not. Because the Holy Spirit told them not to, which was weird and frustrating. Lord, you've called me to this, and now don't do this. Let's keep reading. When they had come up to Mycenae, verse 7, that's the far northern outskirts of the region where they were in Turkey, 
And right along the coast of the Aegean Sea, they'd come up to Mycenae. They attempted to go into Bithynia. In other words, because it was nothing but ocean, they turned north because they assumed they were supposed to go there. But again, second time, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. <laughs> like, really, Lord? I'm out here slumming for Jesus, and you're the one who seems to be making this much more difficult than it needs to be. <laughs> so, as is the pattern of life under the curse... The frustration of things not working can easily come, become for us a temptation to give up because it's not working according to our plans. We're sharing with our coworker. We're praying for our friend. We're inviting our family members to come to hear about Jesus at First Christian Church on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. But they're not listening. They're not coming along. They're not responding. That's frustrating. Just like Paul was experiencing here, the temptation... To give up is all around us in a world that's broken by sin, especially when it comes to something so countercultural as preaching the gospel, especially when it comes to something so radically countercultural as preaching the gospel. I get it. What we're asking you to do in this series is something many of us have never done. Statistically, your average believer in America is responsible for less than one throughout their lifetime person coming to Jesus outside of their immediate family. I get it. We're asking you to do something that feels entirely countercultural. And it's frustrating because the world's messed up. It's not working. I try. I invite. I share on social media. I, I do those kinds of things. I have conversations with people. I try to believe the gospel for myself so that I can talk about it with others, but it's rejected. It doesn't work. It's frustrating. I, I get it. <laughs> the lesson is, the lesson is, that it is our simple obedience and humility and awareness that we're going to see here that bears the fruit. Because this is God's mission. And we are coming alongside his mission, not ours. Let's keep rolling. Paul and his companions keep on task. Keep reading. They stayed in the game. Verse 8. Passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. Probably a dream. Not exactly clear. A man of Macedonia, basically modern Greece. In other words, it's even farther west across the Aegean Sea from where Paul had planned. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Aha! <laughs> this is why God didn't want them to preach where they had been planning to. In other words, God's plans were larger in scope than their own. To cross the Aegean Sea and to go into Greece was a key moment in the history of the gospel going to the ends of the earth that Acts 1.8 through Jesus and the Holy Spirit promised would happen. Paul and his companions would have missed that if they had gotten their way. How often are we missing what God has planned because we insist on our way? Are we preaching yet? Sometimes, friends, when we get bogged down in the immediacy of our short-term plans, we will miss the bigger vision God has for us. And you've got to have a vision that sees beyond this day if you're going to stick with it long enough to reach someone someday. 
so often we're standing in Turkey, <laughs> looking at our own plans, missing the man from Macedonia who's pleading for our help. Insistent that we know what's best for us. How's that working for you? Our plans are why we need Jesus in the first place. Are we tracking with some of that? Our best ideas got us into condemnation before the Father. So, keep reading. Verse 10. When Paul had seen the vision immediately, immediately, we, notice that Luke is now writing in the first person he witnessed all this, Immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Good conclusion. Apparently God had plans for them there because he had prepared people to listen to the gospel. So they traveled to Philippi, where we see the first of three Macedonian converts in Acts. We're just going to look at the first one. Pick it up at verse 11 here. Setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days. Now, in, in his gospel travels, Paul's pattern was to start in a city center to establish a church, uh, training it to spread the gospel to the surrounding areas. And then he would go to the next city and he would do the same thing. He was the first modern church planter. And the first thing he would do when he went into a, center, into a city center is he would go to the synagogue, the Jewish place of worship. He would go there first because it's a logical place to go since Christianity was birthed out of Judaism. So he would preach to the Jews first there. But Philippi not only didn't have a synagogue, there was an inscription on the arch going into the city that prohibited bringing a religion that was not recognized by the state as the official uh, Roman religion. So, verse 13, on Sabbath day we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. It was typical for Jews to gather for prayer and worship outside the city by the river when there was no synagogue. We went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And it says we sat down And we spoke to the women who had come together. We can assume they spoke the word of God. Look at how easy this becomes when you're faithful, when you're humble, when you're aware. Look at how easy this is. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods. It's almost like Luke is saying, we're just sitting there talking about Jesus. Someone overhears us. A woman named Lydia, a seller of purple goods. In other words, she was likely a wealthy business owner because she had uh, this business of selling fine linens to the rich. It says she was a worshiper of God, meaning she was what we call a God-fearer, just like Cornelius uh, last week, meaning she worshiped God with the Jews, but she wasn't quite uh, a real Jew, and she didn't know about Jesus as Messiah. So it says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple goods, a worshiper of God, the Lord opened her heart, Lydia's heart, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Paul did his thing, simple, faithful obedience, humility and awareness. And after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us saying, if you had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay, she prevailed upon us. Paul did his part of faithfulness, humility to the plan and awareness God did what only God can do. 
Now, throughout this entire four-week series, here in Acts 16, in fact, throughout the entire book of Acts, God is pictured, he's portrayed as the initiator of this mission of the gospel. It starts in Acts 1.8. Jesus says, you're going to be witnesses when the Holy Spirit empowers this work. Every single one of our four weeks, there has been the Spirit of God directing. This is an easy point to understand here that I'm about to make, but it's important. (laughs) God is the one who initiates the message of repentance from sin through Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. This whole thing is his idea. Which is to say, just like we did last week, every single time a soft and ready heart hears the gospel, it works. This is why we can have confidence that God's going to use our faithfulness. Doesn't mean we won't face rejection, that people won't say no, because they will. <laughs> but when people have soft and ready hearts prepared by God, to hear the good news, and to respond, they will. Now this has massive implications, God initiating this whole thing. It means this mission is God's mission. It means that he directs it. And it means for us, faithful participation is mostly about our humility and awareness. Our faithful participation that God will use to bear fruit for his glory and for our contentment, peace, joy, and satisfaction is primarily contingent on our humility and our awareness. You needn't be a rocket scientist. You needn't know all the answers. You need to know who God is to you and what that means and respond by telling another. It's not that hard. Faithfulness on our part is paying attention to where he is already working. Because listen, we come to this as if we've got every right idea about how this is supposed to work, don't we? (laughs) Faithfulness on our part is much more about paying attention to where God is working and joining him in mission. And the lesson for us today is a very simple application. It's a very simple application for us. In other words, for us as a church right now, we're about to bark on this mission of going multi-site, one church in multiple locations. That's inevitably going to involve some frustration, right? It will have moments of church is what happens while you're making plans. And and listen, frankly, I don't know if there are any (laughs) wealthy dealers of fine linens in Chucky and Afton. I'm thinking maybe not. But God has called us to follow his lead by faithfully reaching out to those who need help finding and follow Jesus. God has called us. You may not know this, but God has called you. He's created you. He's given you everything you call your own for the sake of his goodness and glory and your satisfaction. He's called you to be a part of his plan that's his initiation by faithfully being aware and humble to it so that we can be a part of helping others find and follow Jesus. That's actually, (laughs) that's actually the best thing going on the planet.
seeing the Holy Spirit change hearts is the best thing going on the planet. We just need to trust that he'll bring forth the fruit that he's planted for us to harvest. It's not complicated. It's about simple obedience and trust in God's initiation and that he goes before us and that as we're faithful, the harvest will come. You see, friends, when we're on the right mission, meaning we're in the right place at the right time with the right words, God will use our efforts to expand the kingdom. You can trust that. You can trust that. The gospel works every single time in the hearts of those who are ready to hear. Even when life is frustrating, even when you are tempted to give up, even when we're tempted to throw in the towel because our efforts seem to be met with rejection or because there aren't enough volunteers, someone doesn't show up on Sunday, the vacuum doesn't work and we're asking you to vacuum, there are typos in the bulletin, the preacher mispronounces something. Whenever life doesn't work and things are frustrating and there are moments of church (laughs) is what happens while you're making plans. If we are faithful, responding in simple obedience to God's initiative to proclaim his gospel, we can trust the results to him. Let's pray, friends. Very simply, Lord, we ask for forgiveness that we have made this world about our plans and purposes. Uh, that we have perverted resources that are yours uh, for our own glory. And so we ask um, that you would continue to convict us where we need it. We ask that you would continue to comfort us and encourage us in those areas where we are being faithful um, so that eyes that are open hearts that are humble, that our awareness to join in where you are already working would be used by you so that hearts would be changed, so that people would come to know you and we would experience the satisfaction and peace and contentment and joy that are found in giving ourselves to you alone. Lord, we're grateful for the witness of those who have gone before, for the faithfulness of those around us, for the encouragement of a group of fellow believers. And that gives us a sense that, Lord, you're working and that you've called us to something larger than ourselves. Uh, So help us, Lord, to see beyond today to tomorrow so that we will stick with it in ways that are uh, like your faithfulness for us in your son, Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen.